We are continuing our sermon series on Level Up, and uh, this is a video game th- sermon series because we could, uh, mostly, but because uh, it, we're, we're talking about leveling up our lives, and when you're playing a game, leveling up allows you to do more, to achieve more, to get to the next level, and so we're talking about how our faith can be leveled up and how we can do that. And last week, we started with Press Start which is the, the only way to start the game and the only way to start playing. And as we were talking about that, we decided that uh, when you're talking about starting and playing those video games, we play them because we're trying to fill a void. We play them because we're trying to maybe distract ourselves from life or maybe just have a sense of accomplishment, to some satisfaction in something. And it's the same way with all things in life that we do. We try and do things that will satisfy us. We try and do things that will make us feel better. We try and fill this void, this satisfaction that seems to be longing. You know, we we find new friends. We try and buy things that we think will satisfy us. We try and get jobs and experiences. But the truth is, is that those things are fleeting, right? If we're honest, they last for a while and they satisfy for a little while, but then we're left with a sense that something is missing. Why is it that we can't satisfy that permanently? Why is it that we can't fill that void? Why is it that we can't figure out something that will satisfy us long term? We're left with this sense, and no matter how hard we try, we think we find something, but it doesn't. So, I mean, if I had this, then I would be happy, right? If I were more fit, then I'd be more happy. If I had a better car, I'd be more satisfied. If I had more money, then maybe I wouldn't have to worry so much. Or if I had more friends, then I wouldn't feel so lonely. If I had a better job, maybe I'd be more content. Or, or all of those things. But we find that nothing seems to satisfy that. Sure, maybe for a while, right? Maybe just for a little while. But we're still left with that sense, that deep down sense that something is missing. And family can't satisfy that. Money can't satisfy that. Even love here on earth can't satisfy that because it's fleeting. Maybe for a while. And maybe experiences. You know, you go off on a vacation and you think, oh, this is just what I need. And the vacation is wonderful. But then you come back and it's Monday. Right? And you're back to work. Stuff can't satisfy that. And so we read in Scripture about the Samaritan woman who comes to the well. The Samaritan woman has had many different husbands, each trying to satisfy a longing that she has. And she comes to the well, and Jesus is there. And Jesus asks for a glass of water, and she says, Who are you to ask me? Right? And he said, If you knew who I was, you'd be asking me. And he says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Jesus is talking about this very thing, that we long for stuff. We need something to satisfy. We're thirsty, and everything we try satisfies for a while, but we're thirsty again. And yet, there's something that he can give that will satisfy that for all time. And that's the love of God. The perfect love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit spilling out 
onto you. There's so much love from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that it spills out onto you and I, that God spreads that. And that's a perfect love, a love that won't go away, a love that is not tainted by sin, and it's not tainted by earthly needs and desires, but a love that satisfies. And that's what our sermon series is talking about. We want to tap into this. We want to grow deeper in our faith. We want to level up and realize that love, to satisfy that longing. And how come we can't do that? Because we get stuck. We get stuck in ruts, right? As you're driving along, a rut pulls you back into something else. You want to go somewhere else, but that rut pulls you back in. And we have many ruts in our life that pull us back in to bad behaviors, that pull us into things that will not satisfy. But we are going to establish new ruts. Well, ruts are unintentional, so new trenches. We're going to dig new trenches and establish new practices that will allow us to tap into that love of God, to, to see this whole time that God was chasing us, offering his love for us. And we're going to do that in the coming weeks by using this acronym, Power Up, Pray and Offer, Worship, Endure, Read, Uplift, and Provide. And we're going to realize, once we establish these new practices, the water that will satisfy, the water that will forever satisfy that longing that nothing else will. And today we're going to start with prayer. The first one is prayer. And now, I'm wondering, how is it going for you? Prayer. I mean, how is that going for you? You know, we all know that we're supposed to pray better, right? We're all supposed to, well, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to spend time in prayer. But maybe, maybe it's dry for you. Maybe it's not satisfying. Does it work for you? Does it fill you up? You know, uh, maybe your prayer life consists of uh, now I lay me down to sleep with the kids at, at night, or maybe it consists of the dinner prayer, or maybe just prayer here when you come to church. Or maybe you tried prayer and don't know what to do. Maybe you've tried to pray and you're like, uh, I wish I had a guide or a step-by-step -step manual or something that would lead me through this. Or maybe you're a prayer warrior and you're like, I got this. But I think we can all level up on this. But I know that some of you are wondering, does it work? Does prayer actually work? Maybe you've prayed fervently for something that you wanted in your life. You prayed fervently for someone to be healed. Or you prayed fervently for a new situation. And it hasn't come. Why? Does God not hear my prayers? Does it work? That's an honest question that we can ask as Christians. We can struggle with this. Does it work? Because we're in good company. Right here in the scripture, we see that the disciples came before Jesus when he was praying, and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, they grew up Jewish. They knew their prayers. They knew their morning prayers, their evening prayers. They prayed during the day. They knew prayer, but they still wondered Something is missing. Does it work? Am I doing it right? Jesus, can you teach us to pray? We're not sure if we're there. 
So if you're a Christian and you're coming today and you're thinking, okay, I'll be honest. I don't know if it's working, if I'm doing it right. It's okay to struggle with that. So what happens? Jesus says, of course. And he begins this way. He says, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. You know this, the Lord's Prayer. For two millennia, the church has been praying this prayer. All denominations pray the Lord's Prayer. And this was a practical solution, right? Jesus said, you need something tactile, something practical to get you started. So here's the Lord's Prayer. But he didn't end there. The exciting part for me, the, the, the real kind of exciting piece is where he goes next in Scripture. First, he does the practical part, but now he does a parable, a story to get a point across. And this is where it really gets interesting, and it might challenge you today. And it starts this way. Which of you who has a friend would go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now, we're 2,000 years removed from this story, so it needs a little bit of maybe explaining, right? So he goes to him at midnight. Now, I don't know if your house is like my house, but midnight sometimes is the, ooh, my, I better get ready for bed at midnight. Is your house that way? Or are you at 9 o'clock, I'm out? I see some nodding on those, too. Some days I wish it was 9 o'clock and I was out. But midnight was the dead of night here. Midnight was the time when everybody was asleep because there was no electricity. There was no cable TV. There was no internet. They were sleeping. But he comes to him and he says, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived. Now, why does a friend arrive at midnight? Well, you know, it was, it was better to travel in the evening, in the cool of the evening, than to heat of the day. So the friend may have arrived late, and because of hospitality rules at the time, they would have to make sure their friend was cared for, make sure their friend had enough to eat. And so it's a legitimate request in an inopportune time. And so the friend says from inside the house, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. It seems like a logical response, right? Do you know what time it is? It's midnight. What are you doing at my door? And they probably didn't have a six-room house. They probably had a one-room house and they probably had a mat on the floor and everybody was sleeping in the same room. So to wake one person to deal with this request would have aroused the whole house. It would have woken up the whole house. It's like, go away, don't bother me. We're all sleeping here. But Jesus continues, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. That's interesting. Impudence. What is impudence? Offensively bold. Interesting, huh? He didn't give him the bread because he was friends. He gave him the bread because he was bold. Annoying even. Right? And impudence comes from the Greek word anidea. It's the only time in the New Testament that this word is used. And the word literally means without shame. The man came to him in the middle of the night with this request, without shame. 
even though he probably should have felt shame, maybe, because he didn't prepare ahead, because it's the middle of the night. But instead, he comes to him without shame. Now, this is the story that Jesus says, how should we pray? Now, I want to point out a difference between a parable that Jesus is talking about and maybe an allegory or other stories. A parable has one point. It's supposed to talk about one particular point. So what's the point of this parable? Be bold. Be bold in your asking. That's interesting. So the point of Jesus' story is, when you pray, be bold. Be brash. Be brazen. Be forward. Be impertinent. Be pushy even. Wow. Pushy prayer. Is that right? Is that what Jesus is teaching? Are there any Greek speakers making sure that I'm translating this right? Does this make you comfortable? Are you uncomfortable with the thought of being pushy with God? Of being so bold and brazen with God? Got to stop. Is God okay with this? Won't he be offended? Will my prayers be rejected because I was so pushy? I don't know about you, but I never got a cookie if I didn't say please when I grew up. Is that okay with God? It revolves around how you see God. What does it mean to be Christian? How do you see God in your life? For most Christians, maybe you could answer the question this way. Well, I'm a Christian, so I've promised to devote my life to God, to be good, to read scripture, to follow his rules, and to live my life for him. And in return, someday I'll be with him in heaven, and he'll listen to my prayers. Is that how you see God? Is that the right way to see God? Because that really sounds like God is your employer when you say that. I mean, think about it. What, what does it mean to work at this place? Well, I show up every day, I do a good job, and I follow the rules, and I let them know when I'm going to be sick, and at the end of the week, I get a paycheck. Wow. It sounds like God is your employer if you think about it that way. Is that right? What about maybe a little different method? Maybe you think of God more as a genie or a vending machine. Man, if I can just have the right combination of prayer, then I'll get what I need. I'm just in it because I need stuff from God. If I approach God with the right prayers, if, uh, if I go to church on Sunday, if I fast a couple of days a week, then maybe God will hear my prayers and I'll get what I need. Is that how you think about God? Is that how we're supposed to think about God? Is God our employer? Is God a vending machine? Scripture talks differently about God. John 1 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's a little bit different way to think about it, isn't it? But is it right? 
Romans 8 says, for those who are already led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves or employees so that you can live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Abba is the Aramaic word for father. We are adopted to sons and daughters of God. This is the language that Scripture uses. Here in Galatians 4, here in Galatians 4, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of God into our hearts, the Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, an employee, but you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You hear that? Scripture speaks of you being sons and daughters, not employees, not benefit receivers. You are sons and daughters. And Paul uses this language in a Roman context. See, in, in the Roman world, if you were born into a family, that wasn't really saying much. If they didn't like the kid, they could get rid of them. If it was too many girls, they could get rid of them. If they thought the kid may have some problems later in life, they could get rid of them. But Roman adoption is different. Roman adoption has some key marks to it. The child is freely chosen. We choose this child. The child was desired. We want this child. We've chosen this child. And it's a permanent part of the family. There's no going back on this. You can't disown them. Once you are adopted by Roman law, that was binding. There's no going back. This is the language Paul uses about you and me and anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, that we are freely chosen by God, that God desired us, that we are now a permanent part of the family, that we can't be disowned. You are adopted by God. And there's no going back. And your behavior doesn't change that status. The status is given by God. And it's a permanent change. Jesus continues on with this by using this very language himself. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? We don't... Think about God as an employer. We shouldn't think about God as a vending machine, a provider of benefits. We should think about God as our heavenly father. Now, that's difficult, I realize. Because what he's saying here is to pray as trusting children. Now, I realize that not everybody had a great family relationship growing up. Maybe you had a bad father. Maybe you had the best father in the world. But our Heavenly Father surpasses all of them. Our Heavenly Father gives you good things. And the key to understanding that 
call to pray boldly. The key to being bold and brash and even pushy in our prayers is to realize that we are called. We are chosen. We will not be thrown aside. We can trust in our Heavenly Father. Have you ever come into the grocery store and you've seen a small toddler having a temper tantrum on the floor? My own sometimes when they were little, right? Do the parents abandon them? Does a good parent abandon them? No, they pick them up and they care for them and they take them away. That temper tantrum can't separate them from the love of the parent. Nothing you can do can separate you from the love of your father. You have been adopted. And he calls us to act that way. He calls us to pray that way, to realize that we are loved. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from me. When my kids were little, it would be quiet in the room. I'd be working on something. They'd be playing. And I'd get a phone call. And I'd pick up the phone. And immediately, they would come over and tug on my pant leg. Dad, 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 dad. I'm on the phone. Dad, dad, dad. Are you praying that way? God wants that relationship with you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to reach out. He wants to interact. Maybe you think, you know, my prayers aren't good enough for that. But God says just the opposite. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to hear from you. I want to know where you're at. I love when you do that. Your heavenly Father loves when you talk with him. It's not a bother. The man who was in the room with his kids on the floor sleeping said, don't bother me, go away. But God says the opposite, bother me. Bother me with your requests, bother me with your concerns, bother me with the things that are bothering you. I am a loving heavenly Father. I want you to be in relationship with me. And so what we need to do is we need to remember that he is our Father. The step for leveling up for us is to practice that, to practice trusting him, to know that he will never discard us, to know that anything that we say to him, he can take, to know that he wants to be with us, that he wants that time with us. We are to pray boldly. And I'm going to guess that if you think prayer doesn't work for you, if you're confused about prayer, it's that you're not doing that, that you're not praying as a small child trusting in their heavenly father. We don't pray like that, do we? We try and make our prayers fancy. We try and make sure that we're well taken care of, that we're earning those prayers to be heard. But the truth is you can't earn them. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. None of us are worthy of the love that God gives. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. And so we need to grow deeper in prayer by growing as children, trusting a loving father, tugging on his pant leg whenever we have something that we need. Now, maybe you're thinking, Mark, that all sounds great. But there was something that I prayed for so fervently, something that I needed so very much, maybe a loved one that was ill, and you didn't feel like those prayers were answered. Maybe a change in your situation that you prayed and prayed and it never came. And you're thinking, 
Does God not hear me? He does. He hears you. And I don't know why he maybe said no in that circumstance. But what father would give their child something that they don't need? Our Heavenly Father knows things that we will never know. Our Heavenly Father understands everything that we don't understand. An employee is, should know what an employer is doing. They expect to know every detail that an employer knows. But a toddler doesn't expect to know everything a parent knows. But I do know this, that he loves us so much that he came down and died on a cross for you and for me. He came down and died on a cross so that that relationship could be reestablished, so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters. And that is a change of status for you and me and all who trust in the name of Jesus. And now we can pray pushy with boldness. We can pray, Heavenly Father, I don't know what you're doing here, but I trust in you. Lord, help me in my unbelief. Are you praying this way? I want this for you. I want this for me. I want our Heavenly Father to be accessible. I want you to know that you can come to Him anytime you have something that's bothering you because you're not bothering Him. He says, I love it when you come to me in prayer. I challenge you this week to live that out. Live in the knowledge that you are loved, that you are adopted, that anything you can do will not separate you from that love. Approach the throne of grace with reverence, but also knowing he is your father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, maybe we have come to you thinking we had to prove ourselves. Maybe we have come to you asking things of our own agenda. Maybe we haven't come to you because we don't feel worthy. And yet you teach us here in Scripture to pray boldly. You teach us to come before you without shame. And so, Lord, we come before you today. Pour out your Holy Spirit on each and every one of us. Help us to learn to trust in you, to live out our sonship and our daughtership in you, to live out that life trusting in you. Father, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.